The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Let's pray. Father, we continue with what that song is, a a prayer asking you to come by your Spirit, to come into our midst and to teach us, to guide us, to illumine, to instruct, to correct, to change. Lord, those are all kinds of words in that song that we now lift up to you again and ask you to carry out, to accomplish in us. Lord, I, I myself, I, I stand here feeling a, a little subdued. I'm not sure what to make of that. I don't know what to make of my feelings right now. So Lord, I ask that you would come and by your Spirit sort us all out. Sort out my mind and heart. Sort out the mind and the heart of each person in each row in this room, young and old. Would you sort us out? And what I mean by that is would you address us each individually and correct us where we need correcting and encourage us where we need encouraging? Spur us on. Perhaps, Lord, we need to be, to be strongly addressed and, and, and stirred and even rebuked. And perhaps like a, a, a wilting or a bruised reed, we need to be, to be lifted up and reinforced. You know what each person needs now, and I pray, address each individual. Spirit of God, would you run through the room and address each individual here? The passage we have at hand is, is going to point us towards and cause us to think about your teaching, your instructing and guiding of us. So speak to us, Lord, about that being our teacher and guide, a prophet to us. Open your word, Lord. Shape us, your people. And I pray in doing that, would you lead us into a place of great renewal and awakening. We need you to do that. And so we ask you to speak, to correct, to grow, to spur us on, and to make us what we are to be, honoring to you, pleasing to you, delighting in you. Father, Son, and Spirit, speak from your word to shape a people for yourself. And I pray this in your name. Amen. We turn our attention this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 3 and a story that is in every children's Bible, I think. Everyone that I've seen. The story of God calling Samuel to be a prophet. 
And, and it is about that. It is about God calling him. But also we should understand that, as we've seen over the last several chapters, it sits in a larger context about a work that God is doing to tear down the high and mighty, the wicked priest Eli and his family, to tear them down, and also then to lift up the lowly, the people of God who are in need. So it's, it's about that, but it's in a larger context about a, a big work that he's doing among the people of God. We've seen that now for several weeks as we've been looking at Eli and what the, the evaluation of him is in the Word of God. Eli and his sons, it says in verse 17 of chapter 2, were in very great sin as they treated the Lord with contempt. And as they reject him and turn away, the Lord says, finally, he pronounces a verdict on them, he's going to destroy them. And that all became very clear last week in chapter, at the end of chapter 2, as it became, the issue became clear and the verdict became clear. They dishonor him and honor themselves above him. And so his verdict, finally, was to remove them and to strike down their whole house, the the whole house of Eli, after them. A, A devastating verdict. To tear them down and to, in their place, raise up another faithful priest who would honor the Lord. And as we trace that through Samuel, and I say through Samuel because first it comes to Samuel. He's obviously the one who's been lifted up as as the replacement. He's the one that God's going to put in place of Eli and his sons. But he's not quite the right replacement. He can't be and, and never actually is high priest. So we trace it to him, but on through him to the other high priests after him throughout all the Old Testament and see that there was never one like the, the heart of Samuel who also filled the role of high priest interceding for the people of God, offering sacrifice to the people of God, and securing forever access to God for the people of God. That never happened until, finally, the great high priest, Jesus. We had a chance then to, to think about what it is that Christ does for us as people, as priest, one who offers sacrifice, one who intercedes for us, and one who secures for us God's presence. That's what we looked at, and now we kind of turn a conceptual page while still reading from the same book. We're still thinking about Eli being replaced, God's decision to move him on and bring in someone else, but now it's not a priest, now it's another prophet talking about a prophet this morning to replace what should be going on but isn't. And that's a a really good thing that God's going to bring in a new and better prophet when we think about what a prophet actually is. Someone who delivers to God's people God's word. This is a good and gracious gift. And as we think about this this morning, not, not only should the and my hope is that not only would the, what the ministry of a prophet is, not only would that kind of come clear to you and, and Christ's role in that come clear to you, but also that there would be some just general sense of, of gratefulness. Because if this didn't happen, we would be in a, a great state of need. But God has sent a prophet, so there should be thankfulness that grows in us this morning as we think about this. That's where we're going. Let me read the text. Chapter 3, verse 1 through chapter 4, verse 1. A familiar story. 1 Samuel 3. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli 
whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not know yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man, and therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, and I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. The word of the Lord. Samuel is introduced to us here in the passage using the same word that we discussed a few weeks back. The word that was translated boy or could be translated junior or, or underling. Here it's translated young man, because time has passed, and, and despite the cartoons and all those children's Bibles, Samuel's not a little boy anymore. He's, he's grown. He's at least a teenager, perhaps even in his early 20s. He's a young man. And he's there in the sanctuary, which was at this point kind of a, a semi-permanent tent structure. He's there doing some menial service as a, a priest in the building, carrying out tasks, and he's actually sleeping there where, where he works. Somewhere, doesn't say exactly, but somewhere on the inside. And Samuel's father, so to speak, Eli, sleeps on the outside. There's a lot of symbolism in this passage. 
So he's there lying down. And the second half of the verse, verse 1, is very important as it sets up a lot of what's going on here. In those days, it says, the word of the Lord was rare. There was no frequent vision. This is not vision in the sense that we sometimes use it in business management to talk about like a direction, an idea about where we're going. This is vision set in parallel to the word of the Lord. This is vision that God gives to a prophet where he reveals himself. He shows himself. That was rare. Not going on. Verse 2, the symbolism begins, because, I mean, the high priest, he's blind. The high priest himself can barely see. Now, they're, they're, these are, are real situations. I mean, they're real facts, but they're all told to us to kind of underline a point. There was no frequent vision because at that time Eli could hardly see himself. And so, in the sanctuary, the lamp of God, it was almost out. Now, there was a lamp. On the, remember last week we talked about the, the house where God lived. It's kind of like concentric squares. And on the, the inner part, half of that was divided where the ark of God would be. And the other half, there was a lamp that was, that was lit. To, it was dark at night inside these, these tents. And it would go out in the mornings. It would be extinguished. But it, it hadn't quite gone out yet. And it's trying to say, God's still there. There's just a little bit of light in that place where Samuel sleeps. Not where blind Eli sleeps, where Samuel sleeps. And in the dimly lit inner place, God calls to him. He called him three times. And in verse 7, we get an explanation as to why Samuel was slow on the uptake. Samuel himself does not know the Lord yet. God has not shown himself to Samuel yet. Now, obviously, he's grown up with, with a great heart that's towards him. It says that he's growing in the Lord. He's pleasing the Lord, serving him, not unlike kids today can, maybe even some of you guys. We grow up in an environment. You grow up around things that kind of persuade you and draw you. And so maybe you're, maybe you're a teenager or you're 10 years old and you are loving to sing of God. You love to come to be around the people of God, but do you actually know him? That's a question for you. Samuel didn't. Though he's serving as a priest, he didn't actually know God yet. But he's about to meet him. The Lord calls to him three times. And finally, Eli figures out what's going on and tells him to go back and respond if he, if he calls him a, a fourth time. And verse 10, God does come. And, and this is different. It says now, God came and stood he appears in some way to Samuel. And he calls him like before, Samuel, Samuel. Echoing how God called the last prophet in the scriptures, Moses, Moses. Here I am. What, Lord? Samuel responds, and the Lord, it says, is standing there manifesting himself somewhere. Not, not in a burning bush. This is inside. Maybe it's in the lamp. I, I don't know. But he's somehow appearing to him, and he speaks, and he gives him this word. This word of judgment on Eli's house. He says, I'm going to do something 
alarming in Israel. We're going to read about it in the next chapter. But the heart of what he's saying here is that Eli is done. As I've said before, here's my second testimony. I'm moving on past Eli and his house. And Samuel hears that. And the next morning it says, he steps here, has symbolism again. He opens the doors of the house of God from the inside and steps out into a new day and speaks the word of the Lord. It says he's afraid to at first, but Eli then puts him under an oath. You must say, I, I, I cause you to, under this oath of God, I, cause, I call you to say what he said. And he tells him. And then it says, a new day dawn, verses 19 through 4-1. From that point on, there's a prophet in the land. It says that wherever he went, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. That is, his words had power. They were effective. They accomplished what God wanted from them. And everybody knew that Samuel was established as a prophet. And at Shiloh again, the Lord is appearing. He's showing himself again. The problem of verse 1 has now been reversed here. That's bookending this whole passage. This is what the passage is about, the beginning and the end. It's not really about the middle. It's about the beginning and the end. Now God is appearing again through his word and then out of Samuel's mouth through Samuel's word to the people. That's the passage. It's a tremendous reversal. A dark Wordless beginning under the authority of a blind priest at the end becomes a new day with the word spreading, God appearing in a prophet, Samuel. A new exodus has happened under a new prophet. We're going to think now about what that means for us. I'm going to unpack that with two observations from this passage and as, as, I, as I thought about this, I think that if you are a Christian and have been around for a little while, it is likely that, probably it's likely every week, that there's not much new. It's probably a good thing, not much new. But you will have heard this and you will have thought about it before, but you must engage with it again because there is something so good in what God has done in sending a prophet, in sending his word to us in a prophet. Without it, we would perish. Which is what the first point is about. Here's my first observation. We need the word of the Lord for life. We need the word of the Lord for life. I don't mean physical life. I mean life in here, real life, spiritual life, wholeness. We, we are more than just physical beings. We can have physical life and yet be dead. For spiritual life, we need the word of the Lord. Let me explain how I get that point, because this passage never explicitly says that, but it is implied, for sure. Verse 1, when it says the word of the Lord was rare in those days, there was no frequent vision, we're supposed to read that and hear in it, problem. 
He's not just telling us something like there, there weren't very many brown cows or, or something, some random fact. He's stating a problem. And we are to understand with the assumption of the Bible why that is a problem. Take, for instance, Deuteronomy 8.3, which summarizes a, a common theme. And they had this passage, of course, for hundreds of years before. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's Deuteronomy 8.3. Jesus didn't create that. He quoted it. Moses wrote that. They knew it. We don't live by bread alone. We need bread to live, for sure, but not that alone. We need every word that comes out of God's mouth to live. That's the real problem in the text, because that's a rare thing. Life itself is threatened. The lamp is going out. It might be helpful to think a little more about what the word of the Lord is. Notice exactly, it, 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 notice that it is not exactly the mere written word. We, we sometimes today, appropriately, we sometimes today use the word of the Lord for short to mean the Bible. And in our day and age, it's appropriate. But back then, that's not what he means exactly here. The word of the Lord is rare. They had just a little bit of the written word. They had the books of Moses. That was it. Maybe Joshua. But the word of the Lord being rare, that doesn't mean that those books were vanishing. Something more is in, in, intended here. The word of the Lord is speech, is revelation from God that he initiates and he gives to us to show himself, to show his truth, and to show his world. So we say word, but God doesn't actually have a mouth. It's, it's often words because we, we are people who deal with words. So we say God speaks, he doesn't have a mouth. He's revealing and he uses words to talk to us. But it is his revelation of himself, of his truth, and of his world. Initially, back in this time period, it's given through prophets. And then, of course, they wrote that stuff down. And now we have it written in, in a Bible for us. But initially, he is speaking through mouthpieces. To them, he reveals himself. And then through them... He speaks to others. The prophets, Moses, and now Samuel. But before Samuel, there's a huge problem in that this which is needed, this need to understand God, to understand God's truth, understand God's world, it's very rare. It's not there. They needed it. We need it. Because think about what we are left with if we don't have it. If God says, I, I look at this situation, and for whatever reason, I look at these people, I look at this, this society, this culture, and I will be silent. What are we left with? We are not left with silence. If God says, I will not speak, we are not left with silence. 
there are a whole bunch of other voices whispering. We are left, if God does not speak, we are left in a world that has a mortal enemy of your flesh and soul, a spiritual enemy, speaking to you. He does not announce himself. He does not say, attention, this comes from the pit. But he speaks, whispering, persuading, drawing, asking the foundational question. It has been the same question from the very beginning. Who is God and what is he like towards you? And he whispers out, God is your rival and he means ill for you. He's speaking. And there is a world fallen all around us, unwittingly taken captive by Him to do His will, speaking the very language of their Father. They are speaking to you too. Do you realize you drive down the highway being talked to? And I don't only mean the billboards and the radio, though I do mean that. I mean, all the voices of your co-workers that are in your head from yesterday, last week, somebody said something, it's bouncing around in there, talking to you. You're being counseled every minute. Talked to. Taught. And it is not sufficiently counteracted by your own soul. Because you yourself, we are, we ourselves are fallen and we have hearts that are prone to wander and are oh so subtly deceptive and clever. Who can fathom the depths of their own heart? And so we hear information from a personal enemy, from a world around us, and our heart even resonates with it sometimes, sometimes even adds to it. And what happens then if we were to just walk under the counsel of these voices we would be left to do that which seems right in our own eyes and destruction and death happens read the book of Judges you are being talked to all the time by a hundred voices, yours included. And that, oh, men and women, it should just break your heart to realize that we, we live in a world, it, it is... You walk out and, and the sun's shining and it's a beautiful day. I mean, the mornings lately have been just wonderful. And you walk out and it just seems so good and right. And it is, it is almost impossible to, to think, which then should break your heart that it's so hard to think, I'm swimming in deception. There is a prince of this world who never tires and who never speaks the truth. 
He tirelessly, intelligently, cleverly is talking to you. Who is God? What is He like towards you? He is your rival. He is out to do you harm. Look at that circumstance right there. We live with a world that is always going on. There is always life to be lived. There are always friends and enemies to interact with. There are always jobs to face. There are always kids to raise, parents to listen to, schoolwork to be done, disease and accidents to be encountered, dealt with, or succumbed to. It is always going on. And He will use every single facet of every moment of your life to say, Who is God? And what does He mean to be for you? He is your rival and He means you ill. Look at that right there. Just look at that. You are not strong enough to deal with that. And half of you is saying the same thing. We need the word of the Lord to live. We need the God of truth who is good to step in and say, No! That is a lie. This is the truth. Who am I? I am the God who is good. Look! No, don't look at it like that. Look at it like this. This is the way it is. Good to you. If He would not come to the field in power with that truth, we would perish. Perish. We need the Word of the Lord to live. And to put it in in some language for us today, we need the Bible. And and aside, I do, as I preach through 1 Corinthians 14, I do believe that the gift of prophecy exists in the church today. If you want to listen to more about that, go look, check it out online. But the word of the prophets today is subject to the Scriptures. So I'm emphasizing the Bible, the word of the Lord written in the Bible. We need the Bible to live. But we do not need a Bible that is like that. Do you hear what I'm saying there? Closed and on the shelf. B follows A right before C. We need a Bible that is like this, that is open in front of me. And we need God to speak out of it. As the end of the passage says, 21, the Lord appeared. How did He appear? He revealed Himself by the Word of the Lord. We need a Bible that is open in front of us not to gather more FYI type facts for your information there now you know. We need a Bible that is revealing. That is revealing God to us because we need God to live. We do not live just by sterile precepts. 
We do not live when we see, okay, there's, there's a teaching about tithing. And, and we, once I've sorted out, is tithing an Old Testament thing or a New Testament thing? Uh, I've taught on that. I'm not going into that. But once you sort all that out, you, there, now I know what I'm supposed to do with my money. Now I will have life. No, you won't. No, you won't. You've got to see God in tithing, God in giving. To see God as the one who provides all of your resources and always assures that you will have more than 10% to live on, who is a bountiful, generous giver and invites us to give back that we might participate in His work and bless others. You've got to see God in all of that. Knowing what the rules are about tithing just leaves you with rules, not life. We need a Bible that is not closed but is open and is a Bible that isn't revealing not just facts but God. Because we live on God. We need to answer the question, who is God and what is He for you? And this will show you, this is who He is and this is what He is for you. We need God to speak. Blessed is the man or woman or boy or girl who meditates on this instruction from the Lord. If you look at the word, it's law. That does not mean instructions or rules. It means instructions as in teaching and guidance. Torah. Blessed is the man, woman, boy, girl who meditates on God's word day and night. He will, she will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit no matter what the weather, no matter what the season, because you've got water at the foundation. Blessed is that person who finds God revealed in his or her open Bible. Are you convinced of that? I highly doubt, I I certainly hope, that none of the Christians in the audience would disagree. I'm not asking if you agree. I'm asking, are you convinced of it? And what do your habits say you're convinced of? That's, That's... where the answer lies. I'm convinced I should eat well as I put a Twinkie in. Really? Maybe not. What do your habits say you're convinced of? And do you come to the Word of God? Do you come to the Word of God? And do you come to this Word open and eager and seeking to find God in it? Or do you come looking for more precepts? And what I mean, perhaps you've met, maybe you are this person, who seems to know the Bible inside and out, and and you're really kind of wondering, what about godliness? Because somehow the knowledge of every jot and tittle has, has missed heart-shaping. Do you know that person? Are you that person? Do you come to the Bible looking for God, pleading, show yourself to me, reveal yourself to me in this world that I might be changed, that I might find life?
We do not want to voluntarily make the Word of God rare. To have the Word of God in abundance. I mean, how many... I probably have a dozen Bibles at home. The Word of God is not rare, but I can make the Word of God rare by any one of these things. By not coming to it looking for God, by closing it up and never coming. We do not want to make the Word of God rare because that is to say no to life. We don't want to urge God. We don't want to invite Him to be silent and leave us to the voices that will continue to speak. We need the Word of God for life. And mercifully, God has acted to meet that need, which is the second point. Here's, here's how I'm expressing the second point. God, in grace, supplies his word by raising up a prophet. God, in grace, supplies his word by raising up a prophet. And obviously, the... Just content-wise, most of this passage is about him calling Samuel. And we don't see that word actually, the word call is all over the place, but it's not actually using it in the sense of call to a ministry position. He just means call out to, address. But he is, in fact, calling him, establishing him as a prophet, as verse 20 puts it. That's what's going on. And we should read this and see in it the grace of God. If you've got the first point, then God addressing that need should cause you to fall in thankfulness. Thank you that you've addressed that need. You are so gracious to me. He provides Samuel. And as we look at Samuel, we've gotten to know him a little bit kind of on the fringe throughout these last several chapters. He's a, he's a young man of integrity. He is, he's one who fears the Lord, who seeks Him, even though he doesn't know Him yet. And when he, when he meets him, when God speaks to him and converts him, he walks out. And when Samuel, though he is afraid, when, when Samuel is faced with Eli's, may the Lord do this to you, he fears the Lord more than he fears Samuel. Though Samuel's his adoptive father, he lives in his house, he could cut him off. But he says, whatever happens there, you're right. I, I have to cross you and not God. So here's what God said. And he tells him all of it. He doesn't hold back anything. Which must have been hard for a young man to say. But he's obedient to the word of of the Lord. I mean, it's a great thing what God has done here in raising up Samuel. For whose sake? That's, That's an important question to ask. Because it's very easy for us to read this whole thing and we see God interacting with Samuel. God interacting with Samuel. We could even read the end. The Lord was with him, with Samuel. The Lord revealed himself to Samuel. And we could read that very easily and say, Man, God is so good to Samuel. Which he is, but which isn't the point. Because he's good to Samuel for the sake of chapter 4, verse 1. And the word of Samuel 
came to all Israel. Samuel's word goes out to all of the people. Samuel's word, that because of what happened in chapter 3, is now a word empowered by God. The Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. There's power in those words. Samuel's word is a God-empowered word. Samuel's word is a God-revealing word because God has appeared to Samuel in that word. So he knows him. God is doing this for the sake of them. God is raising up a prophet to lead this people out of barrenness into life. He's raising up a prophet, Samuel, Samuel, Moses, Moses, to start another exodus out of darkness into light. This is the grace of God on a people. We should read that and see God has reversed a critical problem by sovereign action. Bless God. Samuel is a marvelous gift. And Samuel is an insufficient gift. This is all going somewhere else. Because, of course, Samuel died. God raised up a prophet. and Think of it like God providing this answer that steps out and goes, and dies. Short-lived. And if we keep reading, really the effect of that word going out was itself short-lived. It didn't last many years. It was a great gift. It was an insufficient gift. But Samuel begins the, the prophetic ministry again that had been absent for a long time. And there are prophets who come after him. Some of them good, some of them bad. But there are good prophets that come after him. And they speak, and they, they through them the word of the Lord travels out to the people, and they die. And the ministry is short-lived. But it's all pointing somewhere else. Can you guess? Who was another priest who was raised up as a prophet? One like Moses from among the brothers to whom we must listen. Peter preached about him in Acts chapter 3. He quotes that passage of Deuteronomy 18 where Moses said, There is a prophet coming after me. Not Samuel. Not Isaiah. Not Jeremiah. There's a prophet coming after me. Moses talked about him. Peter preached, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, and you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul that does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, the days of, of Messiah, the prophet. The one who comes out from the presence of the Lord opens the sanctuary where he has been at rest. Comes out onto the dawning of a new day. Brings the word of the Lord out. And never dies. But has a successful ministry forever. As he proclaims the truth about God 
God's truth and God's world. The word brought from this prophet. Actually, the word is this prophet. The word made flesh. Who are we talking about? Jesus. Jesus. The priest who is the prophet. And if you think ahead a little bit, Samuel is also a judge. A priest who is a prophet who is a king. We have been given a prophet who provides for us exactly what we need. Truth from God. And not only spoken, walking around in the flesh. The love of God in the flesh right before our eyes. The justice of God in the flesh right before our eyes. His compassion for people. His indignation over wickedness. His burning zeal to save all spoken of lived in this prophet Jesus he has done that God did that and he does it still today the prophet's ministry continues because he's still alive still teaching how? How is this prophet's ministry still going on? Well, it's going on through the word that he has left us. Through his spirit who has been left to us as a teacher. And through the mouths of his spirit-filled, word-oriented people. He's continuing to teach you. When Jesus said, and and so this is, I think, one of the important applications of this, at least for me in my life, has been to think about what Jesus means when he says, If any of you are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. as I've thought a little bit about what that means in connection to this prophet teaching ministry of Jesus, I think that I have at times been inclined, I think some of us are inclined at times, to look at the weary and heavy laden, come to me, I will give you rest, and say, oh man, that is so good. Jesus, give me rest. Jesus, please take off the heavy burden and give me rest. And we fail to move on to the, how is it that he's going to give rest? Take my yoke and learn. I'm going to teach you. He's going to give us rest as his word comes in to hear and into here and drives out all the other words. He does not give rest separate from that. That's really important because a bunch of us are prone to live like this. Now give me rest. He says, can't. 
I give you rest as my Son, through the Word, by His Spirit, teaches you. You're not listening. The Word of God is rare in your life. You cannot find life that way. Christian, when you find yourself weary and heavy laden and you find yourself in need of renewal, in need of an exodus in your own little life here, out of darkness into light, you find yourself with a thirsty soul in need of water, and that's where you live because you live in a world that's at war with you. What you need when you find yourself then Troubled, demoralized, burdened, weak, frustrated, angry, unsettled. What you need, the answer, Christian, the answer is not another vacation. It is not a new car. I'm not against new cars. Vacations are fine. They are not the answer. What you need is for Jesus to teach you to take a living and active word, not a static word, not a word kept on the shelf, but from a living and active word to open it in front of you and reveal himself to you, to correct the misunderstanding of who is he and what is he for you. What is going on in this world? What, what is true? Who is he? To correct that. Here's what I mean. Open up your Bible to Romans chapter 5. This is right off the front burner for me. I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, I know it's, I'll be brief here. I'm telling you what I was doing about five hours ago. As I'm in Romans chapter 5, and I'm looking, I'll, I'll come in the middle here, uh, verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now, I'm coming into the middle. There's a lot to talk about there. I'm not going to talk about it. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. I want to talk about that little phrase right there. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. And I know what I'm preaching this morning, and I know what's been on my mind about the Word of the Lord living, about Christ teaching me, about Christ speaking truth to counteract all the voice of everything else I'm hearing out there. All of this is kind of in my mind as I come to this passage and say, I am not rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. And I am not rejoicing in my sufferings. 
I, at the moment, I'm not really rejoicing at all. I'm kind of facing my, my usual Sunday pressure kind of piling in. I'm not rejoicing at all, let alone in those things. And if you want to talk about sufferings, as I've thought about different things recently, I have been far from rejoicing in sufferings. I've been more grieved, troubled, anxious, frustrated in my sufferings. God, something's talking to me, telling me how I'm supposed to respond to my life and to my suffering. Something's interpreting my life for me. Please, Lord, would you speak through this word? Why, God, would someone rejoice in hope of the glory of God? I'm not rejoicing at all. To rejoice in hope, and I begin then to think, and I'm asking God, Hope of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? His goodness. And and the idea that came to my mind was light shining. I associated with that. I mean, this this is what I did. I associated with that warmth, light, comfort, goodness. And I thought, but that's just physical. What's actually there is God himself. That's why it's good. Okay, that's what I'm thinking about. The shining light. What, I, what I'm really looking at is, is God. The glory of God. All of His goodness. To hope in that is to hope for that to draw near and that to flood over my life and to one day be able to live in that like a fish lives in water. The glory of God. It's broken in, but it's coming. In a flood. Oh God, cause that to, to rise up in me to seem to be as great as it actually is. Please God, I cannot make that happen. You must cause the hope that should be in me about your glory to grow. And if you would do that, oh, you are doing that even now. I'm rejoicing in that. I'm thinking about how good that would be. And the fear and the pressure of what I'm about to look at on Sunday is fading away as I see your glory. Do you see what's going on there? He's taking me and teaching me, steering me somewhere else away from what I was looking at. And the same thing with the next phrase, rejoice in sufferings. Oh, I'm looking at sufferings. We don't deny they are sufferings. They are called sufferings. They aren't fun. Lord, I'm listening to someone that says, God has what I would say out loud is not what I was saying in my head. God has done you wrong. (laughs) Look what suffering he's brought to you. God has done you wrong. You had it good, and he messed it up for you. Just like you knew he would. Just like you were suspecting, right? There it is, the other shoe dropped. He's done you wrong. That's what I'm thinking, but oh, God. Rejoice? Why? Oh, there's more. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. 
And endurance produces character. And we can think through all those, but for time wise, time's sake, I won't. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love is poured out in our hearts. So it gets back down to God's love poured into me. So something about suffering leads through that chain to an experience of the love of God for me and a resting in the love of God for me. Okay. God, you're going to have to correct me and change me. But thank you, I can see it now. You are about something good in this situation that's producing suffering. Now, how long is that going to last? I don't know. I'm going to need the living and active Word of God again. It's not a once a week dose. I'm going to need it again. Because the voices out there are always talking to me. This one has to always talk to me also. It must always talk to you. Or you will be left not in silence, but persuaded by other voices that hate you and seek your destruction. Very subtly, very cleverly. To be led out of that, you need God's word. And to do that, he graciously, kindly has sent you a prophet whose ministry continues even today. Bless the name of the Lord. Let me pray. Lord, please cause your word to run in us. Cause your word to run in the lives of each individual person here and in our family as a whole, our church family as a whole. Would you lead us in a renewal that is powered by your word? Would you illumine our minds? Would you transform us as you renew us in our thinking? Transform us by your truth. Teach us, please, Lord. Shape us. Make us yours. Lord, as we sit here for a few minutes and think and reflect, would you speak to each person where he or she sits in need? Maybe, Lord, call some to repentance over the Bible that's on their shelf gathering dust. Maybe, Lord, correct some for how they, they read it just for facts and not to meet you. But, Lord, some are going to cry out and ask you to actually show up in your word, to reveal yourself, to correct and teach and change. And would you do that? Would you make it a living and active word, Lord, and not a static word? Meet your people and minister to them and teach them. And so, Lord, relieve our weariness our burdened weariness. Hear us now as we pray, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801 
943-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.